Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. On tonight's program, Brenda Yescas interviews local Bay Area artist Jesse Vester from Marinero y Francisco y Madero about his many projects and his new releases. Up next, we bring you an interview hosted by Aurora Lopez, who is a Chicana mother from Oakland, who is also working in the birth world, and she offers mama-centered, family-centered gentle support. She does this through Semillas of Love. You can find out more about her through Semillas of Love and find that on Instagram. She interviews two very important people, Helen Arega, who's the co-founder of the Roots of Labor Birth Collective, Helen is a traditional birth attendant, activist, and educator, and she's also a member of Black Women Birthing Justice. Aurora Lopez from Semillas of Love also speaks with Rebecca Orozco, who is a Spanish-speaking Chicana doula who is also part of Roots of Labor Birth Collective. In this interview, Aurora speaks to these two powerhouses about the Roots of Labor Birth Collective and all that they bring to the Bay Area and the importance of doulas and making doula work accessible to all birthing people. We'll bring you that interview now. Stay tuned for a jam-packed show. Muy buenas tardes, Radio Escuchas. Estamos aquí con las crónicas de la raza, la raza chronicles. Thank you all for tuning in. We are here excited to talk about such an important topic in our community, which is the maternal health crisis impacting brown women, black women, folks of color. So we are here excited to talk to two powerhouses here in the Bay in Oakland. We have Helen and Rebecca from the Roots of Labor Birth Collective. And so I am excited to have y'all here. How y'all doing? Doing excellent. Thanks for having us. So great. Super humbled to be here today. Thank you so much for joining us on such an important topic. So to get us started, tell us what is Roots of Labor Birth Collective. Let, let's, let's let our listeners know what are y'all are about. Roots of Labor Birth Collective started up in 2016, and we're a collective of POC birth doulas working in the Bay Area, serving the East Bay. And I think the main services that we're providing right now is volunteer support over at Santa Rita Jail. Every Monday, we're there meeting with incarcerated folks, offering support and for folks who are birthing in the system, we also support them in the hospital. We also do doula trainings twice a year, every spring and every fall. Our next doula training is going to be October 4th through 7th. And the powerful thing in providing trainings is we're offering this support and giving these doulas a safe space to come into and to continue growing their practice in community. And then we also provide birth support to provide birth support to everyone, really. We also want to make sure that we provide birth support for our doulas. Um, a lot of times, you know, things can be traumatic. The days and nights are really long. So we do take the time to meet with our doulas on a biweekly basis so that they have a place to really unpack and really, you know, feel supported and, you know, just be amongst their comrades to talk about, you know, what happened and what can I do next time or this birth was really great and I hope the next one turns out to be just like this one. That's so awesome and I just want to just highlight that, you know, 
this is something so important in our communities, right? Because as we learn in the former segment, we talked a lot about like what is a doula and and what is a partera. And part of that work was really um, understanding that it's really about giving and holding space. And so just having one, a collective model is amazing, but having a collective model that really thinks about supporting those that support others is amazing. Just love that. And I, I just want to say that I'm a, a, a new member Welcome. of the Rural Birth Collective. So I'm so excited to be here with y'all. And so with that, maybe tell us a little bit more about the origins of this awesome collective and what, why why did it start and why why is it important that we have this model today after after the time that it's, it's, it originally started? Yeah, this this revolutionary collective started back in 2014. It was a partnership between Black Women Birthing Justice, which I'm a part of, shout out, Birth Justice Project, as well as Dr. Monica McLemore, who works at UCSF. Big shout out to her. She's definitely one of those silent heroes and warriors that really, really, really supports all the work that we do. So yeah, we started back in 2014, we started a doula training for women of color as well as formerly incarcerated women. And we really started this this model so that folks can have a viable means of income and not be persecuted because of past actions, right? And so um, being a doula, you're not really asked, like, were you previously incarcerated or, you know, all those things. So we really wanted to provide, you know, access, a viable job access uh, for folks of color and women of color in the community. Um, So it was a six-day training. Four days were focused on birth and two days were Focus on postpartum. We had amazing guest speakers. We had um, Erica Hudson, uh, Black Panther. We had Arisica, um, who did a beautiful dance piece for us. We had amazing trainers. And basically, it turned out to be a nine-month vocational program where they had to complete five births in order to graduate. But in that time, you know, there were support circles. There was uh, stipends. There was transportation stipends so that, you know, there were no barriers or no, you know, um, barriers to access, right, to getting to the births. And um, lastly, they were partnered with mentors. That way they have somebody that they were going to births with in the beginning. And then as soon as they were comfortable, they were able to do the births on their own, but just having someone on call for them at all times. So that basically transpired into Roots of Labor Birth Collective. We didn't necessarily want to do another training again because we thought it was really important that folks, you know, once they were trained, had an income, right? So we didn't want to just keep training people and keep training people. And then they're like, yeah, I'm a doula, but I can't really work anywhere. I don't have, you know, money to support myself. So we started this collective model um, and we were really intentional about all the aspects, especially keeping it POC only. And um, and I'll say that again, POC only. Um, our trainings are also POC only. That way we can have a safe space for us to really, you know, speak about the things that we want to. We don't have to center ourselves. We don't have to, you know, explain what we mean. It's just kind of, it's given, right? So, um, yeah, that came to be in 2016, August, um, the first collective members and we've you know been working really really hard since then Rebecca do you have anything to share thank you for emphasizing that that is a POC only collective and definitely we have a lot of conversations around allyship and that in itself could be another 
segment to keep it a safe space too. And something that Angela mentioned earlier, when they were in their first year as a doula eight years ago and not being able to find another Chicana doula who could relate to their experience and that there being one person, we are a collective of doulas from Ethiopia representing Mexico, Costa Rica, like so much. We're trying to, we want people to know that they can find support that looks like them too. So it's very important to hold that space for POC folks and to also let the community know out there that they can find culturally competent and congruent support within Roots of Labor too. That's amazing. And I really love the idea, like this is really revolutionizing when we talk about birth work, right? To have this collective model. And so maybe like tell, tell us a little bit, like is this a funded project? Like what is that? You know, what does that look like nowadays? I, I know you mentioned that there was stipends back in 2014 and that there's really this idea around supporting supporting different birth workers that were coming out to become doulas to really, like, provide some self-sustainability. But what does that mean now? How does that look like today? Yeah, so back in the day when we were balling, um, <laughs> we were granted $200,000 to uh, do the doula training. Um, we were granted by Alameda County Grants and Reentry Program. Um, so that was kind of, you know, the bulk of the money that we had in the beginning. Then we were regranted again in 2016. Definitely not the same amount, but we were granted again. And uh, from there, that's how we basically... It was our startup funds for Roots of Labor Birth Collective. Since then, we have not received any grant money. So basically at this point, most of us do this work volunteer because we know a lot of it for us is just a passion, right? We have a passion to take care of our communities, to take care of ourselves. So the only people really that get paid on our collective are the doulas. We feel like it's really important for them to to get paid because it. It's all of our times, but, you know, they're actually there with the birthing people day in and day out. And, you know, all of our positions are really, really important. But we just made a collective decision to have the doulas get paid. But we do need funding because, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that are getting paid crazy amounts of money. There's a lot of, you know, initiatives and organizations that are getting paid, you know, 50 mil to start an initiative or $200,000. And we're doing this from the kindness of our hearts, which is great. But we all need to eat and survive. It's it's a lot of hard work, especially just I'm joining in just at the beginning. And I'm, I'm, I'm joining in just now and uh, the collective and just just seeing the richness and the commitment of all these awesome birth workers. And it's a huge list. It's a huge group. Like, really, when we think about, like, birth workers coming together to say, we really need to bring this to our folks. This can no, not be something that, you know, that if you're privileged enough, you will get a, a, a doula at your birth. But it's something that... Everyone deserves a doula, right? So yeah. can you all tell us a little bit about the Everyone Deserves a Doula campaign? So as Helen was mentioning, we've been kind of operating without grant funding for the last year and a half. We do get some in-kind donations from time to time. Everyone deserves a doula. So earlier we were also talking about accessibility and Roots of Labor and their birth packaging. When you sign on to have a Roots of Labor birth doula support your birth, 
that can range anywhere from free to the $2,000 market rate that it is in the Bay Area to have that kind of birth support. If you could pay $2,000, please come get one of our doulas and know that you are paying not only the doula that's supporting you, but that a big part of that fee is also going to go to support somebody who can't afford it. So, you know, get a doula, give a doula. And with that, we're hoping to be able to to not only empower you in your birth process, and but to also empower you to be to participate in the birthing community and feel like you're also part of the conversation. This is really uh, a campaign to to really tackle the issue around access, which is which is a big barrier. Especially, um, we've had a huge influx of newcomer folks and unaccompanied minors, and we have a lot of young people, right? Um, we've seen a, a decline in teen pregnancy for a very long time, but in the newcomer population, we're actually seeing a lot of like young parents uh, crossing the border. And so it's just really thinking about the expanded awareness around access really, really is something to tackle. I think for folks that are listening, it'd be good to just briefly just talk about like, why have a doula? Like, why Why is it necessary? What? Why does it matter? Like, why should you as a person of color really think about, like, I need a doula? Like, that should be at the top of your list when you think about your um, pregnancy. You mentioned already the maternal health crisis right now going on. And just to name that right now, black birthing people in particular are three to four times more likely to die of pregnancy-related causes and Latinx people are right behind them. To know that the medical system that birth has moved to in just like the last 60 years, that's not how we used to do it, and it, that system wasn't created for us. So to be able to have a doula part of your birth process, and that's not just the birth process. You're, we're there for the first two prenatals, and we're there for two postpartum. So we try to hold you in this container of time that our birthing people are really vulnerable and to be able to have someone standing behind you to help disseminate all the information that's being flown at you if it's even being offered as an option and not just happening upon you i feel like doulas have a way of really slowing down time a little bit to giving you this is an emergency situation birth is a slow process and to be able to have that person to hold space for you in the hospital room is so valuable um, I would also add having access to information. Um, your doula is there, you know, to support you, um, to really listen to you and be, you know, that best friend without the drama, right? But also to, you know, provide you with detailed information of what you are entitled to as a birthing person. So I think that aspect of it is very, very important. Thank you. And I'm checking out your website right now, which everyone listening, please check out this amazing website that the collective put together at www.rootsoflaborbc.com. And you can check out a little bit more around just how doulas make a difference. I'm checking out this page. You can click it on what's the problem, right? And one of the things that doulas make a difference is we have 
Fewer medicalized procedures and interventions have decreased risk of having a C-section, use less pain medication, have shorter labor times. We all want shorter labor times, right? <laughs> Bond better with their infants, feel happier and better about their labor, and have babies that are healthier at five minutes after birth. These are just to name a few, right? But it's really important that as a socially conscious community and as a community that that's really talking about bringing justice to to every aspect of our everyday lives that we really start thinking deeper about how are we providing support and how do we show up for folks that are expecting right and this is one way you can you can support them by funding their doula right um, or you can support collectives like this one and as Helen mentioned this is one of the collectives that is um, very highly volunteer based so for all of those folks that that are funders or grant writers or you know that are out there really thinking about how to support a cause this is one of the most revolutionary things you can do is support roots of labor birth collective and really invest some of those dollars in thinking about the next generation from its inception right and and also think about how we supporting just folks to to have access this is this is how you do it so I want to ask you two here that are in the studio, is there anything coming up? Is there anything that we should have our listeners know about what's happening with y'all? Because we know you all have so many amazing things happening. Thank you for shouting out the website. And again, to funders, people got a little extra money that they feel generous and want to share. We also have a PayPal button on the website. So they are tax-deductible donations. On the website, we have an event calendar, which is a great place to keep in touch. So again, we're here to support our birthing community, folks, birth workers, and people interested, but also people just wanting to be part of this conversation and, and know about it. Um, in general, we're pretty disconnected from the birth process, and this is a rite of passage that we all need to be learning about. So check out the events page. Another thing that we did this spring was throw our first community baby shower. So we received a ton of donations. Thank you, everybody who donated. Um, and we had clothes from like zero to, I don't know, like 18 months. Um, we had cribs. We had strollers, car seats, um, maternity wear. Definitely look out for that. Another community baby shower. And also, lastly, but most important, we have a campaign called EDD, Playoff of Words. It's Everybody Deserves a Doula. Um, this campaign is just to give you a little bit more context into what we do. We're going to have a video. The video will kind of show you a little bit about what we do, give that human perspective and that human touch, and it gets perspective from our clients to let you know that, you know, we're actually out here. We're really doing the work and not just, you know, we're not just an internet group that, you know, posts photos on Twitter or Instagram, things like that. We're actually out here doing the work. So when you see it, push all the buttons and uh, <laughs> send all your money our way. All the likes. And so we are on Instagram too, at Roots of Labor BC. And you can, it's a good way to keep in touch with what we're doing too. Thank you. And for those of you that are 
incarcerated. Um, there is also a way to listen. I know we have a lot of listeners that are behind bars. Um, so please um, check us out and know that Roots of Labor Birth Collective is also has a presence at Santa Rita Jail, as Helen mentioned. So that's also accessible to birthing folks there, which is awesome, and I love it, and I love talking about that work because it's so necessary. It's really about bringing birth justice everywhere, right? Shout out to our people at Santa Rita Jail, too. We love you, and you are are the roots of why we're even here today. And with that, I want to thank our guest. I'm so, so honored to have both of you here, and thank you for all your labor of love and everything that you do for our community, for our loved ones. Helen and Rebecca have been in the studio talking to us around bringing birth justice back to low-income folks, folks of color. So thank you so much. And we'll see everyone at the next segment. Thank you for having us.
Welcome to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas, and on tonight's show, I have in the studio with me Jess Sylvester, a.k.a. Marinero, a.k.a. Francisco Imadero, and a.k.a. Cholofi. Welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to have you back. So glad to be back, Brenda. We've <laughs> This is my second time uh, doing Raza Chronicles, and thank you for reaching out to me one more. It's, we had a great conversation last time. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about all your new projects. And did I name all your various projects? I'm not sure. You're Mo- super busy. Most of them, most of them. There's a there's a there's another one called Crisis Man, which is a band I have like uh, with a bunch of friends from the North Bay. But um, it's it's like uh, we all live in different places, so it's 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 kind of a nice project to have when we're all around, but not really ongoing or not something I'm taking too much of my time. But the other ones we are right on are projects that I'm currently working on. So I mentioned all your various projects. Mm-hmm. How would you describe the sounds in each? For Marinero, I would say it's like the singer-songwriter solo project of mine. And I approach it with guitars and pianos and basses. And it's like, I guess it's more pop in like the easiest way to say it. But I feel like every album has a different character. And I guess for the most recent one, um, I was heavily influenced by music that was happening in Brazil in the 60s and 70s and uh, maybe bands like Los Freddies and uh, some Latin soul. And like it was a nice uh, channel for me to kind of uh, try out a bunch of ideas, you know. Um, but I think all of them are kind of have a little bit of a Latinx musical style to them, and especially Francisco Madero, where it's we sample a lot of music mainly, so we take we take records or we we collage them and build on top of them with other live instruments. But it's mainly coming from Latinx sort of uh, cumbias or like bossa novas or like all all across the board, like different styles of music. And then with cholo fi, it's um, similar with the idea of collage and sampling, um, but it's more of a really it's more of a like a fun project for me when I'm not writing songs and I'm like still wanting to create music and it's like a nice process to make mixtapes and uh, having friends that are DJs they will always expose your for any friends that love music you're always like rotating or getting introduced to new sounds and new music and for that it's a nice way for me to cherry pick little parts of these songs and make tell a story with them or try to make a try to make something experimental but also yeah, I don't know like a they're mixtapes, but they're also like very weird. <laughs> it's hard to describe, but yeah, I think all of them kind of are rooted in Latin mu- music, I guess, or and soul and uh, psychedelic music, I guess. So you mentioned your DJ friends. So is that how you get most of your samples? And how do you know when you find the right sample? I think you know because like uh, it's just like any like any cherry like any song might have a specific part that you just really resonates with you. And uh, it may just be like, there was a song by Del- the Delphonics called like, Hey Love. And like, I love that song. It's just like a very beautiful song. But at the very end, there's like a, there's like a, this fade out en- ending that's just three voices doing re- call and response of, Hey Love, Hey Love, Hey Love. And it's, it always struck me. And it's like, I, I think of music in that way where if I see, if I hear something really cool, I'll try to like gravitate toward a specific part and kind of hone in on it, and then I just like loop them. But with DJ friends, I mean, or just any friends, like you're, I feel like music is the most talked about. Besides, you know, like like within my group of friends that do music or play music as DJs, like 
we're usually always connecting on that level. And so everyone's always introducing each other to new music, whether you see them perform live or whether you're just talking or hanging out, driving in your car. Or, um, so it, having friends that are either in bands or, or DJs, like they're, they're going to, it's really great. They're, everyone's going to kind of expose each other to something new and keep it refreshing. Tell me about, I guess, the most memorable sample that you've heard recently. What's like the most memorable one that you remember? You're like, oh my God, this is face melting amazing. That's something that I needed to sample? Yes. Well, yeah, I guess my first thought was Jeanette. Un dia es un dia. Or uh, like there's this one Jeanette song. She's like a pop artist from from like the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s. I remember when I first heard it, it was just, it was just, it's old. It's like, it's like a little bit 70s, a little bit 80s. Um, It has just such a beautiful chorus in it. And um, I slowed it down and pitched it and created a loop with it and kind of cut the timing a little bit. Um, That was like the first thing to come to mind. You know, that's like such a beautiful song to me. And just to hear it repeated over and over and looped. For me, it was like very satisfying to hear. And I remember when I heard it, I just like knew... Um, there's also this group recently called Ghetto Brothers. They're from like Puerto, Puerto they're known they're, they're Puerto Rican, but they're from New York. They're from the Bronx, and they are like the coolest band because they're. I mean, you grow up on the West Coast and you're exposed to Chicanx culture, but there aren't as many port, like Puerto Ricanos around here. So it's like it's cool seeing, like, like. Different different aspects of 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 our culture, you know, or, or Puerto Rican culture, different experience or different traditions or different music, you know. And they they're American in the sense that they're Mexican. I mean, they're they're Puerto Rican, but coming descent. But they're growing up in these in the Bronx, and and they're in gangs, and they're like these. They like wear vests with their with their gang name on it, the Ghetto Brothers. But they also happen to be exceptional musicians and songwriters, and their music has a flavor with the percussion and everything um, of like rock and like a kind of a sort of Santana sound as well. But there's a song that they have called uh, Viva Puerto Rico that is like really gorgeous and it's like really smooth. And I decided to, I mean, I was listening to them around the time that um, the hurricanes hit, like, uh, which is almost a year ago now, but I really wanted to use that sample um, for, for that, for, because I love the song and also because I really wanted to kind of prop, you know, Puerto Rico right now as well. I want to talk a little bit about your new, I guess, album sure. project yeah. from Francisco y Madero. Yeah. It's called Amor de Lejos. Yes. Super excited about this album. I think it's, it has everything for everyone, pretty Thank much. You. Like It has Tropicalia sound, a little bit of Bossa Nova, mm-hmm. some oldies. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about the album and how it came about. Yeah, I... I'm, I love, I love, it's probably my favorite record that we've had so far put out. Um, it's taken us about five years to um, to finish it. And it started with sampling some Bossa Nova tracks, kind of coming up with pop structure with those samples. And because we've had so much time, like five years, we weren't, we weren't like working the entire time on it. It was kind of like this, this project that became what it like kind of grew over time. But with five years, you have a lot of time to think and obsess about something. And I think for me, I approached it on a few levels. I liked that um, some of our earlier records 
had a certain themes or like sounds where we sampled maybe more soul or maybe more doo-wop on one. And maybe on one of them, it was a little bit more experimental and had had all sorts of different genres. But this one, I wanted it to have a flavor of like that 1960s sort of like Brazilian kind of clean Astrid Gilberto sort of vibe, you know, as far as the premise. The theme, it was is actually really funny too, like the idea of, of long distance love because our project is between two different places, you know, and I thought that was a fun idea to play around with and especially considered we considering that we had a record called Love Songs for Dating. We kind of had this theme and I thought it would be funny to to have like a an album about this long distance love where it it's funny because we both live in different places, me in San Francisco and him in Guadalajara, so but the whole record is like for me conceptually it's like it starts off with the idea of love and the idea of fantasy and the idea of not having something in front of you but having this idea of this love from afar and throughout the record it, it slowly turns and it, it, at the uh, towards the end it kind of turns into a breakup um so i wanted to have this idea of like this fleeting love or this idea of like fantasy as well and and the sadnesses that come with that too you know the heartbreak the funny thing is is like I was kind of going through, um, it was the funny thing is I was working with this director as well who was doing a a video for one of our songs. And I too, at the end of the finishing this album was kind of going through sort of a long distance breakup. And so it's, it's ironic that as soon as I was finishing this record and releasing it, I was going through, like it almost like manifested. And it was interesting that this director I was working with for a music video was also going through something similar. So it was like it had this like it was a nice way to connect with a stranger or another artist about those sort of feelings and the funniest timing of it coming out like that. You know, I didn't intend for that, but it's just one of those things in life, you know. But that's pretty much the gist of the song, you know. It's also really funny because to call it Amor de Lejos, it kind of leaves out the other part of the saying, you know, which is Amor de Pendejos, which is like <laughs> if you're Mexican, you <laughs> it's kind of this it's kind of something that I don't know my mom grew up telling me and it's kind of has some truth behind it as well (laughs) but I like I like that our band usually has like little inside jokes within like the name or like the songs it's just kind of a theme I guess we've kept as well
mentioned that the other person mm -hmm. in Francisco Madero lives in Mexico. Yeah. Who is he? And also, are there other musicians, or is it just two of you creating all the different melodies? Because that is is amazing. Yeah. This one, well, it's Car Carlos Pesina Sier is is my is my partner for Francisco Madero, and this album. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about him. Like I met him in 20, 2013 in Guadalajara, and I was, I was, uh, didn't know many people in the city, and I was using MySpace as a musician as a way to network with other artists in the area, and I met, and I reached out to a bunch, and he responded. I reached out to him, and I really liked what he was doing with Mexican folk music and Son Jarocho and mariachi, and he was doing kind of a psychedelic instrumental thing, and it resonated with me and. I think some of the music that I was making resonated with him too. So we had these this like band crush on each other, and we we met up and started you know hanging out and just being friends, and him introducing me to his friends and taking me to places to eat. But but he is is kind of a legend in some ways. Like he's done a lot of really cool projects, and he's gotten to travel quite a bit. And like a, the month before we had met, he was like at Sonar Music Festival and in, in in Europe, and. Uh, so when we started this project, it was very casual and it was like very fun. It was like we were just like we weren't trying to do it to be in a band because we live in different places. We were just doing it like two music lovers, like just connecting and working together. And and it kind of snowballed a little bit with some of the things that we had done. And we got to we've gotten to travel a little bit, but mainly it's been just the two of us um, on this record specifically with Amor de Lejos. We kind of brought up the production a little bit more in terms of getting people to play vibraphones, getting um, musicians to play classical guitar at certain points, getting with percussion, you know, we kind of, uh, where where we've come from a background of usually just sampling and adding maybe guitars between the two of us, we, we decided to, uh, it just, I mean, we just it just came out naturally, you know, working with different musicians that play different reed instruments or horns, we just... It's a mixture of both those, which is which is kind of a nice uh, balance, you know, of samples and trying to blend it with flutes, like live flutes and things like that, to to give it to give it that extra, you know, uh, get to, to actually like give you a way to like compose as well over these samples. So like we did, we definitely did a lot more than we have in the past on this record. And where was it recorded? In my bedroom, and mainly for like my parts, and then. My setup is uh, is a laptop and and a few microphones and like an interface and it's very easy to to be portable. So I would go around. I would have people come over to my place. I would I would go to people's houses. So yeah, just moving around very very easily. And for him, he records pretty similarly. Like where he's he's living at home and in Telequepaque specifically, and has people come over and record with him as well. So like home studios basically. I want to focus on two of my favorite tracks yeah. from the album Amor de, Lejo, de Lejos, of course, the yeah. title track. Yeah. And Dos Las Dos. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I want to also ask in Dos Las Dos, I hear a little bit of theremin. Is that a yeah. sample or is that someone played that? Yeah, you're right. So uh, that was a theremin, actually. And it was it was a, th it was a, th a theremin like, like patch, like through MIDI. Um, so it wasn't like a, a real theremin, but... It was like it's. It was. Uh, it was used like the sound of a theremin was used in the recording. And uh, um, yeah, that, that, that's one of my favorite songs on the record too. It's the last song on the album, and it's like the it's like the breakup song, you know. 
Yeah, so you pick two songs at the v- at the very beginning and at the very end, which is great because the beginning is like the idea of kind of what I was saying with love, the idea of like fantasy, the idea of like of believing in something that's not around or, or you know, or, or being or being in love basically um, with someone from afar, you know, and then Dos Lados is is kind of the breakup song and the I guess the conception the idea behind it was there's two parts there's two sides there's dos lados you know and um to any relationship especially in a breakup and so I did a duet with this really good friend of mine who's an amazing singer and she's uh she's her name is Luz and she is in a band called Ila Bamba and she's a friend of mine and very uh, amazing singer and we had the opportunity to record together and I wanted it to feel like a duet. So um, I wrote both the parts for the the melodies and the lyrics. And so for the first half of the song is the guy's uh, perspective. And he's passionate and very sad and, and the melody is very minor and sad and haunting. And you hear his side and then there's a break and then Luz sings her side and she's more like, hey man, it was just like a summer thing. Like... Um, you know, maybe we should just keep a distance or maybe I'll see you sometime when I'm on vacation, like way less heavy, you know, like this idea was, you know, two different people having two different interpretations of this, this love. And it's also from afar, like the first part's in Spanish and the second verse uh, for Luz, the, the female part is in, is in English. So it's just, it's kind of plays around with certain themes of being in different countries, being from afar and people having two takes on a relationship. <laughs> Speaking of writing, I think that's one thing that I also love about all your albums is that it it resonates with me with your with your lyrics. Where how do you get into the mood of writing, and do you write all the songs, or is it do you collaborate with other people? I think when it comes to that music or this music or or Francisco Madero and Marinero, I I usually write everything on my own, and I do enjoy collaborating with other artists because it's it's always fun and refreshing and inspiring. But I think generally. Um, with music, I, I, I love songwriting so much. It's like my favorite thing to do. Like I, I, I love writing harmonies. I love writing melodies. I love uh, the different instrumentation or composing. I love all of that. And I would say that I, I it's easier for me just to sit down with an instrument and come up with a, a song or like the melodies first. But lyrically, it just takes me a long, I, I spend way more time like really thinking about it and trying to tell a story or like connect the songs with other parts of other songs, you know, and I don't know why I've, I've gotten into this way of songwriting where it's, it's really easy just to have an idea and write it and there it is. But I, I've been really into making these like conceptual records lately and like trying to really string things together and it's, it's more work, but it's like really fun and it's, and rewarding and, and you don't, you can't always predict the things you're going to come up with, but sometimes they just come to you in a very natural way. And, and uh, I'm really glad to hear that you connect with it. I mean, that's like, that's what, it, that's, that's why I spend, I think so much time doing it. It's because I, I really, I want to connect with other people about those things and, uh, and, and share that, you know? So I, w- I would say writing lyrics is probably the hardest part. A record like um, Amor de Lejos took five years, but it took a lot of thought, you know, writing those lyrics and, but yeah. And we were also talking about your upcoming release mm-hmm. called Tropico de Cancer. That's it, yeah. And it's uh, from your other project called Marinero. Yeah. When is that set to release? 
uh, I guess spring of 2019. Um, it's uh, it's the third Mondinetto album. It's it's one that I got to record in Mexico in May and June with a bunch of good friends and uh, been talking to a few different labels and they sound interested in putting it out on cassette and vinyl and and it's very exciting. So it's like it. And right now I'm working on some music videos for that and with some different artists in LA and it's been really exciting um working with all these different creative people in the in the process of recording the music it's been very fun to like collaborate with other artists with making these music videos and it's I, f- I feel really good about it you know it's it was really uh it was a difficult time uh like right before recording but the music was like a very it was the first time music became like a healing process you know where like it was very cathartic and I've never put out of it was more of a heartfelt like sort of album I felt for me and even though each album has its own character this this one had a different sort of cantante like classic romantic vibe that I'd never really experimented with as much and and I and I uh, I really enjoyed that character and uh and to see where it where it comes next but yeah I mean it's uh it's one of my favorite albums I've I've done so far for many reasons and I'm really excited to share it
have any gigs lined up in the Bay Area or anytime soon? Yeah, like um, we have a we have like a late October tour, like a mini tour, um, which is really exciting because it's going to be in the West Coast. It's sad that we're not going to come through the Bay Area, and I wish we could, but we're going to be supporting this artist that I mentioned that sang on Dos Lados, and um, her she's she, uh, she's in a band called Ilabamba, and she lives in Portland, and she's gonna we're going to be following her and supporting her like mini tour for this new release that she's putting out and the beautiful thing is is that all these friends of mine from Guadalajara who I recorded with for Tropico de Cancer are gonna come up to the United States and we're all gonna they're gonna be my backing band and we worked so well together on the record that we all it was just uh it was just like kind of like a really magical experience I mean just to say it like generally but um so it's just have the opportunity to tour with them. It's going to be great. Late October, we're going to play in Portland. We're going to play in L.A. And we're going to play in San Diego as well. I hope to do more with them. Where can our listeners find out more information about all your various projects? Oh, um, so luckily we have some help from a few different, uh, I guess, labels. or And they've put our stuff out on Spotify and Apple Music. Um, so if you search Marinero on, on either, you'll probably find... This record I put out in April called High Tone, and then for Francisco Marrero, you can um, you can find us on 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 the same, which we have tons of albums, and then you and then the same goes for Spotify and uh, Bandcamp. If you search Marinero in all caps, you'll see a picture of this pretty woman. It's my picture of my mother, and there's a bunch of different projects I have on my own SoundCloud for Bandcamp. It's the same, a bunch of records I put out, and Francisco Marrero is is just about the same. Thank you, Jesse, for being on the show with me tonight. I'm looking forward to all your amazing projects you have in the future. Thank you so much for having me, Brenda. It's been a pleasure, as always. Third Eye's 16th Annual Film Festival runs November 1st to 4th in San Francisco and November 17th in Palo Alto. This year, the festival brings you some of the best cinema from India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Canada, Australia, and the USA. Women filmmakers dominate this year's lineup with over two-thirds of the program and documentaries abound. The festival explores the themes of healing and the importance of dialogue and brings a focus on the northeast of India. As always, local filmmakers shine bright and Bollywood is offered two ways. For more details, visit thirdeye.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-I dot O-R-G. We'll, we'll see, see you, you at, at the, the festival! festival. bring you Cronicas de las Razas calendar of upcoming events. We have a focus on Dia de los Muertos since that's around the corner. We recommend that folks check out SOMARTS, their Dia de los Muertos exhibition. The theme of this year's exhibition is honoring our ancestors by fighting for the future. They'll be specifically honoring Rene Yañez as well, who along with being one of the co-founders of Galeria de la Raza is also an instrumental pillar at SOMARTS. The exhibit will be at SOMARTS, which is 934 Brandon Street, and the show will be up until November 9th. In addition, we recommend checking out Dia de los Muertos Altares at the Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts. You can check out this year's 
focus, which will be Remember Us, Recuérdanos. And the Mission Cultural Center is 2868 Mission Street. Brasarte presents San Brazil Roots of Samba. Brasarte presents a dance and music performance that explores the diversity and evolution of Brazilian samba, from its roots in Afro-Brazilian slave traditions to the dazzling display of technique, sensuality, and power has become. The show is October 27th at 8 p.m. at Dance Mission Theater in San Francisco and October 28th, 7 p.m. at Casa de Cultura Brasarte in Berkeley. You can find out more at brasarte.com. There will also be a important art show at the Richmond Art Center called What is Border Art? A view of Califas from San Francisco Bay. ¿Qué es el arte fronterizo? Una vista de Califas desde la Bahía de San Francisco. Join curators, writers, and critics for a lively roundtable conversation in conjunction with, with the Richmond Art Center and the art of the U.S.-Mexico borderlands. El arte de la zona fronteriza, México, Estados Unidos. This talk will be Saturday, November 3rd. You can find out more at the Richmond Art Center website. And last but not least, you can check out the Oakland Museum, which will have focus on Dia de los Muertos as well. To find out about more events happening in the community, as well as listen to this show again, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Chronicles. Or you can subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher or go directly to soundcloud.com slash Chronicles to listen to this show again. If you'd like to contribute any ideas, events we should cover, or want to be part of our collective in some way, you can email us at Chronicles at kpfa.org. That's Chronicles at kpfa.org. Today's program was produced by Nina Serrano, Brenda Yescas, and myself, Julieta Kuznir. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches. Thank you.